And there we heard the choir of Chester Cathedral and a song that originated in Australia, My Jesus, My Saviour. Now let's see what David has for us. At the Winter Words Festival in Pitlochry Festival Theatre, Scottish writer Alistair Moffat talked about his book, To the Island of Tides. It follows St Cuthbert's journey from Melrose to Lindisfarne along the course of the River Tweed. Alistair spent a week on Lindisfarne. He described at the Winter Words Festival how it helped him to cope with the death of his granddaughter. And I walked and walked around the island and I realised two things. First, that Aidan, who founded the monastery, and Cuthbert, who became bishop, they realised that this island was a natural cathedral. It was its own church. Because on the south, below, just by the priory, below the village, there's a, a very interesting rocky outcrop that, that's almost rectangular in shape, called the Hugh. And I realised that was the altar. I didn't know at the time that recent archaeology had actually found the first churches ever to be built on the island, on the Hugh. And so it was, it was the altar. And at dawn... Each morning and at dusk, I find myself sitting up there after the crowds had gone. And it was, I called it the peace of Cuthbert. Um, you, you, could, you, could, you could sense it. You really could sense it. The first, first dawn, I, I always get up early. I, my wife and I run a little farm and you're up at half past five, whether you like it or not. Um, the beasts have got to be fed. They don't know that the clocks have changed or that it's February or whatever. They just want to be fed. Um, and so I, I, I was up at half five anyway. And, um, and so I went to sit on the huge and look out to see. And below it were several... They're not really caves. They're just fissures in the rock, indentations in the rock that are called prayer holes. And monks would sit in solitude through the night, awake, shivering as the spray of the North Sea hit them, um, contemplating, trying to know the mind of God. And so I, the first morning I sat there, um, I, I... Do you remember a film called Don't Look Now with Donald Sullivan and Julie Christie? It's set in Venice. And it's partly about the disappearance of a little girl who wears a red waterproof. And you see her disappearing around the corners or across little bridges. And I saw this woman, I think it was a woman, with a yellow anorak disappearing around the corners in the mornings on the village on Lindisfarne. And I realised early on that she was the bell ringer for morning communion at St Mary's Church. And so I was sitting up on the huge, and I heard the bell ringing. And I thought, goodness, like John Betjeman, I'm going to be summoned by bells. Um, and so I went to St. Mary's Church. I'm not a Christian. Uh, and, and in fact, I, I dislike Christianity in many ways. Um, but I went into this church, and it was an amazing revelation. It was so warm and welcoming and colorful. And it had life. It had life. It wasn't a, a kind of mausoleum. Um, and I loved it. Uh, it, it. I went every 
morning. I didn't take communion, obviously, but and the island, it was all Islanders because the, the the week I was there, the tide was still shut at eight o'clock in the morning, and there were only a congregation of about twenty people. The priest was a really old lady, um, very bent with a kind of you know white mop of hair, and she wore a cope which was designed like one of the carpet pages in the Lindisfarne Gospels. It was beautiful. Um, and I thought, goodness, this is, this is a place to, to think about Cuthbert, think about my granddaughter, uh, to think about all of these things. And it was such a contrast. And I, I wrote about, about this, um, the contrast with my own experience of the Kirk. Raised in the traditions of the plain, sombre kirks of Scottish Presbyterianism, I find churches to be depressing places that reek of disapproval and prohibition and dwell too much on failure and death. To my youthful ear, hymns were mostly joyless dirges and sermons reminders of what a sinful, scruffy and generally unworthy boy I was. In Kelso, we had an evangelical believer in hellfire for a minister. Thinking back on interminable Sunday morning services, they were very theatrical in the way that they were set up. Perhaps my memory's faulty and selective since my attendance quickly moved from occasional to never. But the big moment in our kirk seemed to be the appearance of the minister on stage and his costume of... Alistair Moffat there mentioned dreary hymns. Well, I don't think this next one is dreary, not the way that um, Maddie Pryor sings it. It's Charles Wesley's And Can It Be?
fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine I diffused a quickening ray. I walk the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. song arrangement of And Can It Be There. That was Maddie Pryor and the Carnival Band. Now let's hear some more from Alistair Muffet. So that was my experience of, of the Kirk. Um, and this place, this church, St Mary's, which is very old, it's, it's early medieval parts of it, um, built opposite the Priory Church, which was a Benedictine Priory built in the 13th century. It was warm welcoming and I liked it a lot and I went every morning and the second morning I went through the the, the cemetery the graveyard around it I, I noticed a little low grave with a, a, a golden sun engraved in the middle of it and it was um, a tombstone for a 14 month old baby boy called Hugo Glenton and so I, I went into the church and lit candles for Hugo and for my girls and you can do that in the English Kirk. You can, you can remember that. You can, you can. There's something very warm about doing that. Um, and so the Hugh became my dawn and dusk place. And as I say, the whole island. I walked around it, um, occasionally nodding to the community of the uncommunicative. Um, and I realised that one of the reasons that Cuthbert loved it was that to the north of the island, where almost no one goes. It, it, Lindisfarne is shaped a bit like a, a, a sort of pot with a handle, uh, which is called the snook. And along the north shore are, are beautiful beaches which are empty. And behind them are, is a dune land, um, very beautiful. And I realised, of course, that for Cuthbert and Aidan and all the other monks, this reminded them of the deserts of the east. They were all very metaphorical, these men. They could make, they could make these, these places come alive to their, <clears throat> their own framework, as it were, of belief. Um, and I, I loved that. Um, and certainly one of the things which I found as I walked around the island, I was very um, conscious um, that I had to resolve things, not only for the death of the wee one but also because you get to a certain point in life at least I did where you dwell on things you know the mistakes of the past the people that you wronged the people who wronged you 
uh, and so on and become negative. And I wanted not to do that. I wanted to get rid of that uh, if I possibly could. And that was one reason why I wanted to go to the island and stay there for a week. I'm a naturally, I think, gregarious and person who's got far too much to say for himself. Um, and for me to shut up for a week was really, really unusual. Um, and I think it was good because if you're not having an external conversation, so to speak, you're, you're having an internal one. And I think that's, I think that was one of the the real joys that really was what the peace of Cuthbert was for me was the ability the ability to do that Alistair Muffet there and he found good fellowship in the church at Lindisfarne here's Christine Getty now with a song about what sounds like an ideal church the title Oh How Good It Is
a Celtic sound there for Oh How Good It Is, and that was Christine Getty, the faithful one.
has written a series of sonnets based on George Herbert's poem, Prayer. Today we hear one about softness. Softness. Softness and peace and joy and love and bliss. They rise like steps ascending to his throne, each step a blessing and a power to bless, a strength in knowing and in being known in Christ's strong love. Softness is first, a grace that sets aside our strife, undoes our stress, as hard lines soften in a kindly face, and hard toil softens into real rest, as when, on days all strewn with broken glass, days we have borne with bleakness all alone, we turn at last and take the hard road home, and someone greets us with a soft caress, brushing away the tears that blind our sight, soothing the down of darkness into light.
for us to think about there from Malcolm Guite. Harvest festivals are not going to be the same this year. Uh, no singing in churches, even those that are open. But uh, thank God that there is a harvest. So here's a traditional harvest hymn. It's sung by the choir of St Margaret's Presswich. It's Come, Ye Thankful People, Come. him from the choir of St Margaret's Prestwich. Come, me thankful people, come. Now let's go over to David again. Roy Lawrence wrote a series of talks about the Christian year for Flame, Christian and Community Radio in Cheshire. Today we hear one about harvest. I suppose that the most popular festival of the Christian year is Christmas. But uh, perhaps the second most popular festival of the Christian year is Harvest Festival. 
because there's something very special about the sight of a church at, at harvest, uh, with all the fruit and the flower and the vegetables and uh, the way that the, the church is decorated. The sight of a church at harvest is special. And the smell of a church at harvest uh, is also special. And it's lovely to go in and just enjoy it all. There isn't a fixed date for it. Um, usually it's a Sunday, and uh, it comes sometimes towards the end of uh, September, or, or it comes early in October. But it is good to be in church at harvest, and not just because there are some very special hymns which we all enjoy singing, but uh, there are other reasons why, for Christians, Harvest Festival is a very significant time. And uh, I want to pick out four of these reasons why I believe that Harvest Festival should be special to us. First of all, we need to remember that if the harvest were to fail totally, if it were to fail totally for just one year, then the greater part of the human race would die. But so far, this has not happened. So far, this has not happened. And so it is good, just in terms of the survival of our species, it is good to pause and to say thank you, to say thank you to our planet, to say thank you to those people who work on the land or are in some way involved in getting to us all that we need for life to continue. And above all, it's good to say thank you to God. Now, the second thought is this, that for Christians, there's a special reason for taking the Harvest Festival seriously. Has it struck you how many of the parables of Jesus are about the harvest? Because they are. Think, for instance, of the parable of the sower. We're told uh, that a sower went out to sow God's seed and some of it fell on good ground and some of it uh, fell on terrible ground. And um, so we are challenged to ask ourselves, Jesus challenges us to ask, what sort of ground am I when the seed of the gospel is being sown? And then uh, another parable is that of the wheat and the tares, which reminds us that bad things can grow in us as well as good things. And then there's the parable of the labourers in the vineyard, uh, which... Uh, tell us that it's never too late to start working for God. It's never too late to begin to be one of God's harvesters. And uh, then there's a very sinister parable, the parable of the wicked husbandmen, which reminds us that, that there are people for whom the riches of the earth uh, make them not grateful, but make them violent and murderous. And there are, there are others as well. Other parables are based on the harvest. So it, it's, it's good to ponder the harvest. And the, the third thing is that there is an important message we need to take in. You and I are not just meant to say thank you for the things that grow around us, but we are meant to be part of God's harvest. St. Paul says that whatever we sow in life... That is what we'll reap from life. And St. Paul says this is true in this world and it continues to be true when we ponder the mystery of whatever is to come after this world. And if we want to see what he says about that as he thinks around those thoughts, then look at the letter to the Galatians. Look at chapter 6 and verses 7 and 8. 
And then one more thing, the fourth reason why I believe the, the Harvest uh, Festival can be important. One thing that it certainly teaches is the importance of sharing. All too often we don't share, all too often we hoard, and because of this, people die. Every time the clock ticks, people are dying around the world. And it's all unnecessary. If we develop the resources of this uh, planet properly and if we share them properly, this is a generous planet and there is enough for all. So Harvest Festival reminds us of all of this and, and, and much more, and it does so year after year after year. So we need that reminder. We need the Harvest Festival, and uh, we can enjoy it and get something really good out of it as we enjoy it. Bye now. And that was the late Roy Lawrence. Always good to hear his voice still. Now it's the turn of the City of Birmingham Symphony Chorus for... We plough the fields and scatter the good seed. version of We Plough the Fields and Scatter the Good Seed from the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra Chorus. But it's time to get back to David. Larry Gentis lives in Kirkmichael and goes to Pitlochry Baptist Church. Larry has written a piece where he imagines himself to be Zacchaeus trying to meet Jesus. Here's Larry as Zacchaeus now. Allow me to introduce myself. 
My name is Zacchaeus, and you can find my story in Luke's Gospel of the Bible. I'm uh, not very popular. My fellow Jews hate me because they see me as a traitor. You see, I collect taxes from them for the Romans who have taken over our nation. The Romans despise me simply because I'm a Jew. Well, I saw this as an opportunity to make money for myself. After all, I reasoned that someone has to do this job, it might as well be me. And if I get rich in the process, so much the better. I always skim off the top before I hand the tax revenues over to the Romans. But don't tell anyone. I've been doing this for many years, so I'm quite wealthy, but I'm missing something that I can't really put my finger on. Well, it's nice to be rich, make no mistake, but the only companionship I have is what I pay for. And even I know that that's not love. I happened to be in Jericho collecting taxes one day, and it was rumored that a famous rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus was passing through, and I wanted to get a glimpse of him, partly out of curiosity, and another part, well, I don't really know why. They say he performed miracles of healing, and when he taught the people, well, it wasn't like the other rabbis. It was as if he reached into their very hearts. It was almost like I felt compelled to be there, as if some invisible force told me it was urgent that I go there. Finally, the moment came when he was arriving, but there was such a huge throng of people around him that it was difficult to see him because, well, to be truthful, I'm, I'm not very tall. In fact, I'm a head shorter than most men. Every time I got in position to see him, the crowd would move forward, and without fail, someone taller than me would block my view. <laughs> well, I was not to be denied. I looked around and had an idea. There was a sycamore tree close to me, and I thought well, that if I could manage to climb up it, I could have an unimpeded view of Jesus. So I climbed the tree. I'll never forget what happened next. Jesus stopped in his tracks called out my name. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. I was absolutely astounded. First of all, how would he know my name when I'd never met him? Next, why on earth would he want to stay at my house? Why would he even talk to me? All the Jews hate me already because I'm considered the lowest of the low, a turncoat to his people. And by associating with me... They'd hate him, too. I couldn't get my head around it. That evening, when we were dining, I finally understood why he came to my house. As I watched him, I noticed that he was not shying away from anyone, no matter what their status, even talking with people who were the same as me. Hmm. He was accessible and didn't seem to mind what station in life the person was from. Then it came to me like a thunderbolt. He came to my house simply because he loved me. He didn't condemn me, even though I guess I really deserved it. He simply loved me. Now, I told you earlier that I was very rich, but that I was missing something. Now, I understood what that was. It was love. Nobody loved me. And in my eyes, what was there to love? I was a rich, powerful traitor who robbed honest working folk. But here's this rabbi, and he loves me. Suddenly I was overwhelmed, and I wanted that love. So, in front of the dinner guests, all crooks like myself, I declared 
Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Jesus then said, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Now, some months later, you wouldn't even recognize the person I once was. I saw that God's love was so much more valuable than all the money that was so important to me before I met Jesus. I'm following him, and now I'm the richest man in the world. Because not only did Jesus come into my house, he came into my heart. And you can read about Zacchaeus in the New Testament in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. Now, before I retired, it was quite the thing to have a simple mission statement or a job purpose, something like that. Did you notice what Jesus said? The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. All words of one syllable. Could this be his mission statement, I wonder? Let's get back to music, though. Uh, we've had a song in the English folk song style and one in the Irish too. That one was from Kristen Getty. So now here's the new Scottish hymns band with a song based on Psalm 139, Were I to Cross. <laughs>
Hemsworth's band and Were I to Cross. And that's our programme. Thank you for listening. Our thanks too to Larry Gentis, Roy Lawrence, Mike Malcolm Guite, Alistair Muffet for their contributions this morning. Not to mention Sam Ross who put the whole thing together for us. Faithful One.